What first brought you here? Not, not to this church specifically, I mean, but to seeking generally, to show up to be community, to say thank you together, to dig into the struggle together. And even further back, what pulled you to look for God? Maybe your parents brought you to church before you can remember, but to the extent that you are now coming on your own free will, I think that's a lot of people here, though not necessarily everyone. (laughs) What did you first see or hope for? Or was there something that happened, something healed or a promise that you glimpsed on the horizon? What was it? As long as I have heard this gospel story, I've always imagined the star that the Magi follow to be more or less like the North Star. Something continually shining in the night sky, a a celestial compass to chart their course. But as I've been sitting with the story again this week, I've been wondering if, if maybe that sense comes more from the songs we sing and from pageants with the wild star dancing all around and, and slowly, steadily leading us forward. I wonder because it's not in the text. Not like that. They see the star rise. These wise ones, these astrologers who are most likely Zoroastrian priests. And based on all their study, and likely based on their own faith tradition, they discern that its rising means that something great has happened. They interpret the star as an announcement that a new king has been born, and they suspect that he will be king of the Jews. So they go to Jerusalem. They don't see the star hanging in the sky there, but it's where it makes sense to go, where logically they would look. And it's where they presume they could learn more right from the source. And so the Magi set out and search and finally ask. They find King Herod not realizing how wily he is, And they ask him about the prophecies, about where people think this wondrous thing would happen. That's how they get to Bethlehem, piecing together ragged bits of information, their their best guess to look in Jerusalem, and then old wisdom and stories, and the long-held hope that the Messiah would be born there in Bethlehem. And finally, it's then as as they're finally getting close that the star appears again and comes to settle over where the Holy Family is. But friends, wherever these wise ones came from, that is a really long way to walk if you can't see the star in the sky. Because as best I can tell from the words on the page, that star isn't there all along, pulling them forward. 
At what point do they wonder if they have just imagined it? If whomever they are seeking will really be there? Do some of them turn back? Because despite well-worn tradition, we don't hear that there are three of them. We just surmise that from the three gifts that they bring. And for those magi who do make it all the way to the Christ child, how do they keep going? How do they hold on to the wonder of that night when they first saw the star rise? It might be a good question for all of us. As those, mu- those moments of beauty and clarity, they rarely last. Even as they come again, maybe in a new form, sometime down the line. If I had to identify one such moment for myself, it would not be in a church building, but in the backwoods of Indiana along Sugar Creek. I was about 13 years old and on a camping and canoeing trip with our Episcopal camp there. My parents were newly divorced and my mother's alcoholism was growing more frightening despite my my best efforts and my young hope that I could somehow control it for her. But for one week each summer, I was free of all that worry. For this week, I got to step into a community whose center and guide most explicitly was agape, the kind of love that we offer one another unconditionally, just as we have received it unconditionally from God. Agape, the building block not only of our beloved community as humans, but for how we live with all of creation. This camp was a sanctuary. And one night on that canoe trip, after we had pitched our tents on a new sandbar, after we'd made dinner over a fire and cleaned it up, after we'd played games and sang until all the light had faded from the sky, our counselors asked us to spread out and find a quiet spot alone. I don't remember if they led us in some kind of meditation or offered prayers or if they shared any direction at all. All I remember is that soon, the 15 or so of us kids and teenagers, we had settled in along the bank of Sugar Creek in the dark, listening and watching. The landscape of the backwoods of Indiana is not grand by any stretch of the imagination, but it is good. There in the dark night, I could see the small dancing reflection of the moon and the stars in the creek's gently flowing water. It was quiet and it was beautiful. I didn't hear any booming words from on high. There was no sudden flash of meaning. But young as I was, I remember receiving the deep sense that this beauty was enough, 
that ultimately things would be okay. That no matter the mess that was unfolding for me at home, there, there was a community, a family even, that would hold me. And that standing behind them, there was a God who would continue holding me as well. Just as God held the beauty that rose up before me and all around me that night. The whole encounter couldn't have lasted more than 10 or maybe 15 minutes before we switched gears and were brushing our teeth and climbing into sandy sleeping bags. But that brief glimpse stayed with me through tumultuous years that followed. In my mind and my heart, I returned to that experience of of sitting together of sitting together in beloved community, eyes wide open to such quiet, simple beauty. Even as I couldn't see it most of the year, it became a a touchstone for me of sorts, a signpost to keep moving in that direction, to remember that this goodness existed and trust that it would come again. And it can be hard to hold on to these fleeting lights. Hard to remember them when life gets wild. Where else are the Magi pulled on their journey? I mean, Jesus is at least two years old by the time they arrive. Surely they veer off course, distracted or or curious or just lost. It doesn't sound like the star is hanging in the sky as a steady beacon and constant reminder. And yet, in some way, they keep returning to what they first saw. And with that, they keep finding the path again. This is what I want to spend time with this epiphany. Not a wistful nostalgia, longing for a return to something that can't be recreated, but but rather digging into where we've been, examining how it is that we've ended up here. What were we looking for? What mattered most to us then, and why? Does it still What are we longing for now? Wherever we've ended up, our our glimpses of these wondrous but intermittent stars matter. They matter because they've shaped how we've set out, which direction we've headed on our paths, who we've reached for along the way. And I think, ultimately, they remind us of our wild and beautiful and entirely mysterious God. This Holy One who's sometimes so palpably present, intimately so. And then the next day is impossible to pin down, distant and wispy and moving too quickly for us to track. But God arrives and returns, sowing herself into our lives, into our dreams, our our visceral longings. 
She gives us enough beauty to bet on, enough light to set out on, enough wonder to bring our big questions with us, dripping with such hope that even a stranger might help us finally arrive. So join me, friends. Go back to where you first began, where you first saw this light. Notice where you've been, who you've found along the way, how you've made it to this day. My hunch is that God has been lighting the way all along, even when you haven't seen that wild star in ages. My trust is that she is lighting the way still.